Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome. And thank you so much for sticking and staying with us for this last hour. Um, yeah, this hour center stage where we get a chance to talk to all types of artists, people that are starting new ideas and are doing new things, no matter what it is, whether the singing and writing or um, it's just so much we can do. And people are really at it. They are getting at it, and that's the beauty of it. My first guest tonight is Beck Lee. I met him about four years ago. He used to work at a place called Crooners. He's from New York. Uh, he has worked out of New York for many, many years. And now he's doing something called the Cultural Fluency Initiative. It's really quite remarkable what he's doing. He and I have talked about it early on, <clears throat> and now it's really coming to fruition. And I am very excited for him. Beck Lee, welcome to WCCO Radio. Geraldine, thank you so much. It's great to hear your voice, sir. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just saw the uh, Irish movie, The Quiet Girl, and I qu- cried tonight. So Aww. anytime that happens, it, it's it's uh, so special to have that happen. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful movie. Yeah, it lets you know that beautiful. you're still human, right? Oh, it's good it to does. be reminded of that. Yeah. It really does. Absolutely. Let's talk about what you are doing now. Um, you have something called the Cultural Fluency Initiative, and a lot of people are interested in hearing more about this. Can you just tell us how you define it? Mm. Well, it's uh, an experiment, Geraldine. I, I, <laughs> I want to get this thing off the ground. I've been doing some planning for it, asking people what they think, uh, and also uh, building my relationships in the Twin Cities. Uh, which is so important with different artists in different communities. So what I'm doing is uh, a project that will be focusing on performance, but from different cultures. We'll be celebrating different cultures as they exist, as they manifest here in the Twin Cities. And we want to try to create a a different kind of uh, environment, a different kind of space, for people to just basically uh, be happy and, and comfortable with the idea of being with people from different backgrounds, different r- races and religions, and uh, and from different um, you know uh, uh, different existence, a different lifestyle or so society um, as as it exists here in the Twin Cities. So that's what we're going to try to do with these salons that we're going to start 
uh, doing uh, uh, next month. As of tomorrow, it'll be May. Yeah, let's talk a little about. Let's talk a little about a little bit about what this really means for wherever you mm-hmm. are bringing this, taking this. Um, mm-hmm. What does it really mean? Because. You and mm-hmm. I both know this is a very difficult time for people to get together and actually try mm-hmm. to build their cultural intelligence. That is, right. it's a real problem right now. So knowing mm-hmm. that you're doing this cultural fluence, um, fluency initiative, mm-hmm. that's got to mm-hmm. be exciting for you. But at the same time, what are you hearing from those that you're talking to, those that you're sharing this with? Well, it's daunting because there's, uh, in many places, uh, an exasperation, a um, a kind of like a throwing your hands up. What can I do uh, in in this uh, world that we're living in? You know that is constantly being characterized as polarized or or division is getting worse. Uh, how could we possibly do something to forestall that and reverse that? Um, uh, you know, so it is daunting. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I think that the most important thing for, for me in terms of how we set this up is to set the right expectations and to really not try to, you know, over, uh, over promise or really do more than you can do in just one moment. I mean, uh, even even a, a family of five uh, welcoming somebody from a different culture uh, into their home and uh, uh, feeding them is the basically a cultural uh, experience. Um, I, I've, I want to be able to share with others and I want others to be able to share with others. Uh, that process, that experience of of sharing their culture with people who are from different places. Okay, so then what are you hearing from those that you're already talking to? Are they saying, yes, this can work, we can actually build on this? What are your expectations between now and December? Hmm. Well, I want to see if these salons are successful and well received and 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 have the uh the effect that i i want them to have uh which is um to to break down some uh open some eyes open uh our 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 experience of others in a way that we don't normally get and so if we go to a a see something at the Cedar Cultural Center. We go to the Festival of Nations, in uh, and we go and we experience other cultures. That's that's really good, and that uh, that ex- expands our horizons in many ways. But at the end of the day, does that really have we made new friendships? Have we really asked ourselves, you know, uh, have has it changed uh, who we are? You know. On Monday morning, after a weekend of cultural experiences, you know, we go back to our own lives and uh, our own realities, and uh, uh, so, so that that's, you know, and I, I think that that's one of the things that frustrates people that are very well-meaning that want 
to be, uh, you know, culturally uh, courageous. Um, you know, not easy, we, not we, easy it, at all. <laughs> it's, it, it, that it, is a hard task. Now, once you do it, it feels great. Because you know that oh, you're moving absolutely. forward, right? But my goodness, it's difficult. And some people will ask, you know, mm-hmm. what is cultural fluency? How would you define right. that? Right. Well, it's it's knowing not only see one of the things that I think is going to be interesting with what we do is that I I want to ask everybody who participates, and these. Uh, these these salons, everybody's a participant. Nobody is a, you know, a consumer, a performer versus an audience member. We're all participants. I want to ask everybody to to um, reflect on their own heritage and ask themselves. I want everybody to be able to ask themselves, how well do I know where I come from? Uh, if you've been in, the, if you're, if you're five generations American uh, versus uh, first generation American, uh, you, you, you may have much more access to, if you're the first generation American, you have a lot of access to your, to a home country or to a, to a, a culture right. that, that you right. grew up with. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're like me, well, I have an interesting thing. I, I, I part of half of my family would be considered, you know, I, I, I think we go back 12 generations and 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 I'm outing myself. But, you know, that that's uh, that side of the family, the English um, descended part of the family. I know very little about where I'm from, to tell you the truth, because I basically the, the, those uh, the cultural fluency of that side of my family was very limited because. Essentially, they they viewed themselves as American. Right, and, exactly. Um, so and, I want to make sure we get them. in. I want to make mm-hmm. sure, Beck, that we get in all the information that people need. Um, this mm-hmm. is a fundraiser and a community building salon. This is happening on Wednesday, May 24th at 6.30 p.m. It starts. It ends at 9 p.m. at mm-hmm. Hamilton Studios, 3112 West 28th Street, in Minneapolis, five four five five four one six. There will be entertainment, refreshments, and conversation. And what do mm-hmm. you expect people to do? And we only have a couple minutes left. What do you expect? How do you know that you've succeeded when you do this salon coming up on May twenty fourth? Well, if people say they want to come back and when's the next one, I consider that a, a success. Oh, that's your um, metrics. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and these are. The, you know, it's it, it, these are all free of charge. There's nothing transactional about this, and and what what you don't know because it's not shared ahead of time is who the performers are and what the cultures are that we'll will celebrate in the in the course of of that evening. And what I would like to say is that it would be great. Very if quickly, very who, quickly. Yes. Anybody who's interested should go to our website and uh, let us know they want to come. All right, and that website is your email address? No, it's culturalfluencyinitiative.org. Okay, but if they want to RSVP by May 20th, do they need to go to your email? Well, sure. If you want to put that out there, that'd be fine. Okay. Uh, It's beckleedrama at gmail.com. 
All right, and again, the website is culturalfluencyinitiative.org. Check it out. This is when I first uh, found out about it from him that he wanted to do this, I thought it was awesome. So please come and check it out. This, again, is happening on May 24th, 6.30 to 9 p.m. at the Hamilton Studios in Minneapolis. What a pleasure to hear your voice, Beck. Take care of yourself, dude. You too, Gerilyn. Thanks so much. All right, stay safe. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with Willie West of The Meters. Have you heard of him? We'll be back in a moment. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. My goodness, when I hear a bit of the blues, I got to dance a little bit in my seat because it just kind of makes your bonbon just, you know, shake it a little bit. (laughs) I'm excited to introduce this man. I don't know him at all, but I am learning about him. And um, I have to tell you that he is one of the original soul and blues men. He started singing at 15 years old and was known for his high energy performances and wide vocal range. Now, Mr. Willie wrote and recorded his first vinyl, 45, in 1959 called Did You Have Fun? for the Roostone label. His mother had to sign the contract for him because he was just 17 years old. He is joining us tonight. He has a brand new uh, album that came out on uh, April 21st, and um, I can't wait to hear some more of the songs. Welcome, Willie. How you doing? Oh, just fine. And you? I'm doing well, sir. I don't think I've heard of your music um, ever before. Tell us about um, where you are today. You started way back. You At 17 years old, you signed a deal, and here you are. You're still going strong. What has changed for you? My age. Yeah, right? <laughs> All of us can say that, sir. All of us. My goodness. Has age changed just the changing of, of uh, or the aging process. Are you better as you age? Because some I, people I expect so. us to be worse, right? Yeah, I know. I think so. You know, I'm, I'm still active, though. That's 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 what matters. The songs from um, the the track are songs that's that are titled "I've Got the Blues," "Somebody Have Mercy," "Said to Myself." You send me summertime, got to cut you loose, got to get you off my mind. <laughs> that's all real. That's the song I know, and people get ready, of course. And then Dust My Broom, Talk to Me. That's where it's at, Blues in the Night. I was so impressed when I saw the names here. Um, and I'm, I want to ask you one question. Got to cut you loose. Why did you write a song called Got to Cut You Loose? What happened? Well, I had a girlfriend back in the day. And she was treating me wrong, 
And I said, this is, I have to get rid of this woman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the old saying is, well, you just got to cut her loose. So that was the title, and it was based upon, upon those facts. Excuse me. When yeah. you listen back to the album that you have finished, do you say to yourself, okay, another one down, let's get started on the next one? Or do you say, it's time for me to stop, it's time for me to do something else? Oh, no, no. I, I, I just decided to keep recording. I had stopped recording for a couple of years, and I decided to get back into it, and, you know, because this is what I do, you know, and God gave me this talent, and I'll, I'll be doing it until, it's, until he closed me down. You have performed with some of the greats, Otis Redding, Aaron Neville, Lee Dorsey, King Floyd, Lightning Hopkins, Joe Tex, James Brown, Ike and Tina Turner, Bobby Blue Bland. We could go on and on and on. Your success has been amazing, and it's almost palpable through your music, through your music. If there was another album in front of you, which I know you're never going to stop until you, until some like God says, okay, it's done. <laughs> so what happens after this album? Will you do another and another? Well, I'm in the process of doing an, another album right now. It, it, at this period, I'm in the process of recording a new album. I, I'm, I got about maybe eight songs together. So just to record but I have a whole lot of material, but these are special songs that we put together. And, I, you know, I'm doing that, getting that situated. So it should be finished by the end of the year, if not wow. soon. So how, how does your brain work with this? Do you say, okay, I'm going to start writing these songs. I already have a ton of songs in my head. I'm going to start writing them. Is there someone you write with, or is it just you? And how do you, do you start recording them by singing them a cappella or with a guitar? Well, I, I'm, I'm sort of like the, the, really before the Michael Jackson kind of hookup, like I hum my bass lines, you know, and I'll, I'll start off with the title of a song, then I put all the lyrics together, you know, and I, I figured it out, you know, put it in, in shape. It's really impressive. And so as you keep delivering the music, then people want more. Do you ever get that from your fans when they go, I know you just released an album, but I, I'm, I'm already listening to it and I'd like to have more. Is that what keeps you writing? Of course. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, I, I, I love to sit down and put stuff together. But on this this album that I'm doing now, it's a friend of mine up here in, in, in St. Cloud. He has a studio, so he, and he plays the guitar, and he's a musician. His name is Leon Lautenbach, and he and I put together all of these songs because he, he's a guitar player, and plus he plays a little keyboard, and we laid on a little, you know, some demo tracks, and then we come in and finish it up. So that's that's basically what I do. Well, it's impressive. It is absolutely impressive. And, of course, if people want more information about this new um, list of tracks that you have done, I think it was April 21st that it was released. Is that correct? I think so, yes. Yeah, so and it's 12 songs. And how many background singers did you have? I had... Uh, Three girls singing background. I, um, I can't 
right off remember the names right now. It's on the album. I, you know, I don't have it in front of me. I should have. But uh, they did a wonderful job, too. You know. Well, congratulations yeah. on this album. How can people access the music? Well, you can go to my web page. You know, it's on my website. It's www.williewestofficial.com. And you can find out all of my information. I'm, I'm right. planning on setting up some tours pretty soon, but I just want to get this out out of the way first. So, is there a show coming up soon? Not that, not soon, but in the near future. Well, congratulations on it again. If you want to go to his website and learn about him, Willie West official. Dot com. You can go to Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash willie.west.music, uh, and it's on the label called loudfolkrecords.com. <laughs> yeah. What a pleasure it has been to meet you on the phone. I hope I get a chance to hear you in concert soon, sir. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. All right. Take care of yourself, Willie. You too, babe. All right. We're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Center Stage. All things arts and entertainment, we just believe you ought to know about it. And there is so much that is going on. It's very exciting. I do hope you are enjoying it so far. Okay, so there is a lot going on here in the Twin Cities, and Ismail... Um, Khalidi is joining us. He's the playwright of a show called Returning to Haifa at the Pangea World Theater. And of course, he is joining us tonight. We want to welcome him right away. Thank you so much for joining us, Ismail. Hey, it's a pleasure to, to be on air with you. So tell us all about what Returning to Haifa is all about. Yeah, so um, Returning to Haifa is a play that I adapted with Naomi Wallace. I'm a playwright. Um, I'm also a Matt grad, actually, so I have Twin Cities connections. Um, I adapted it with Naomi Wallace, who's one of the great uh, living uh, American playwrights. And it's adapted from a novel, a Palestinian novel, by a writer named Hassan Kanafani, who's one of the most prominent uh, writers in the Arab world. He was actually assassinated in 1972. And it's actually about a Palestinian family uh, in the 60s coming back to the home, which they were kicked out of 20 years earlier. And it's about their interaction with a Jewish-Israeli woman who's now living in their house. And a lot of stuff unfolds uh, in their encounter, but it's really a play about home, about displacement, about... uh, resistance, resilience, survival, forgiveness. Um, so a lot of things come up. I, I don't want to spoil it. I hope people, uh, you know, folks can go out and see the show. Um, but, you know, it's very timely. It's very relevant, even though it's a, a piece about history. Uh, I think it, it hits close to home in a lot of ways, a lot of themes. Um, obviously, what's going on in the Middle East right now, it's always relevant and timely, but... I think it also connects to a lot of things going on in the Twin Cities and other parts of the country and the world. Uh, when we talk about forced displacement, we talk about gentrification, even settler colonialism, mm. war, militarism, racism. So it really touches on those themes, but it's it's also really this kind of family drama. So I think it has a lot to offer uh, for folks, and hopefully people will go out and it'll 
start conversation. Um, Ismail, you are a McAllister College grad, <clears throat> and you have local ties here. You were born in Beirut to Palestinian parents and raised in Chicago. My goodness, I would love yeah, to sit in yeah. a coffee shop with you and just talk for hours yeah. <laughs> to hear more, right? So as <clears throat> as a playwright and director, you've written, you've directed, you've performed, you've curated and taught internationally. What is next for you? This particular piece I hear is really quite remarkable. Is this something you want to take around the world? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I always have a lot of projects on my plate. and um, But yeah, this play actually opened, it was actually supposed to open in New York um, about eight years ago, but it was actually stopped because of censorship. I mean, as you probably know, the issue of Palestine can be very taboo and and controversial and um you know for political reasons people on the right stopped it from going up um mm. luckily we we the show actually premiered in london in 2018 did really well and then the pandemic hit and luckily um i was able to kind of come to my to kind of one of my main artistic homes which is pangea world theater where, where i got my start actually after McAllister, during McAllister, actually, as an actor and then a writer, and now also as a director. And um, they're just one of the most creative, courageous, uh, politically radical, artistically interesting, and really global theaters, I think, in the country, but definitely in the Twin Cities. And um, so, yeah, so this is the U.S. premiere, actually, of the play. And obviously, I would love to move it on afterwards, but... um, Right now, I'm just really happy it's in the Twin Cities. It's a Pangea World Theater production, but it's actually at Mixed Blood Theater, um, right off of Cedar. So um, it's uh, it's going on the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th uh, at Mixed Blood, but it is a Pangea production directed by Dipankar Mukherjee, who's one of the you know great veteran uh, directors in the Twin Cities. You know, as directors, uh, playwrights, you guys definitely look for a collaborator. And you have a collaborator in the playwriter, uh, Naomi Wallace. Can you tell me how that relationship started? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, actually, it started in the Twin Cities, believe it or not, even though she she's American uh, but and originally from Kentucky, but she lives in, in the United Kingdom. And I actually started out, you know, acting in a workshop of hers at Playwright Center, 25 years ago and we met and she became one of my writing mentors and then we started writing articles together and now we've written three plays together so you know we have a long long-standing relationship almost as long as my relationship with Pangea which is also 20 years going on over 20 years now so yeah she's listen I mean Naomi Wallace is one of the one of the most you know spectacular playwrights really radical writes about history about racism um, about U.S. imperialism. She's one of the most courageous uh, writers out there, I think. And so it's really an honor and a pleasure. We've become friends over the years. And, um, <clears throat> you know, she's a fantastic person to write with. And, you know, we have a good thing going on the page. So um, we're really happy that, that we're getting our U.S. premiere in the Twin Cities. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's very exciting. Um, I'm just curious to know how contemporary theater can, it, it seems like it's obvious, we offer the audience ways to connect politically 
we know that people are going to see this piece and they're going to love this piece or they're going to ask a lot of questions about this piece. Right. And I'm just curious to know how the political piece of this will go over. Are you concerned at all how people are going to receive it or not receive it? In- you know, I'm not. I mean, I you know, I was at the first three shows last weekend, and you know, the audience reaction was great. We had some talk back discussions, and you know, I think conversation is great. We have to we have to learn to sit with discomfort. We have to learn to also, you know, understand that you know there are other perspectives. And and frankly, you know, listen, I'm 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 Palestinian and. My family goes way back. We were displaced from our homes. And, you know, we have a right to tell our stories. At the same time, you know, Naomi Wallace is, you know, uh, also uh, has Jewish ancestry. So this is co-written by a Jewish-American writer, a Palestinian-American writer. And the story itself, I mean, Kenafani, even though he was radical and people, you know, like to kind of paint him as this boogeyman, like, and that's why he was assassinated. Like, Mm he was actually way ahead of his time. And the, his portrayal, I think, of the Jewish-Israeli character is incredibly compassionate. It's incredibly complex, nuanced. And so he, he acknowledges um, very clearly and in very you know interesting and human ways the suffering of the Jewish people in the Holocaust, in Europe, their displacement, and the kind of complications that come up when as a displaced person, you find your home by displacing another people, right? Yeah. And there's obviously echoes of that in American history. I mean, Absolutely. you know, the, the settlers and colonists who came here as, you know, religiously persecuted refugees from Europe came and engaged in genocide, in ethnic cleansing, in displacement, and, and colonization. And so really, like, these themes that, you know, kind of and we as adapters and you know, talk about in the play, in the context of Palestine, are not just about Palestine and Israel, right? They are about mm-hmm. any place that has witnessed settler colonialism. I mean, you know, in Minnesota, we're on Dakota Ojibwe lands, right? And so every place that, you know, is inhabited by folks in Minnesota right now who are not indigenous, like we are, um, you know, we are colonizing, we are settlers on that on that land. And so instead of kind of denying these things, pretending they don't exist, brush them under the rug, we have to face them, um, you know, head on, I believe, in honest ways. And and it's only by doing that, whether it's in Minnesota or South Africa or, or, or Palestine, you know, that we can really kind of advance uh, in a way that's, you know, just for everybody. And um, and so I, I, I really... I really do believe that, you know, audiences will react well. And if there's discomfort or there's questions or there's conversation, that's great. That's great. Because that's better than not having conversation or believing kind of what the mainstream media tells us about Palestinians, which is often dehumanizing, Islamophobic, racist, or just ignorant, right? So I think it's really, you know, these conversations are important and, and they're timely. Um, and, you know, also, like I mentioned in the beginning, I mean, even, this, you know, gentrification, which we see in American cities everywhere, where predominantly black and brown folks, but also poor folks are, are you know, displaced, 
uh, through economic gentrification from their from their homes and neighborhoods change. I mean, that is very much what happened in Palestine. It was a much more kind of violent process in the moment. But whether it's a slow economic violence, um, you know, intertwined with incarceration and 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 um, and discriminatory policing in the United States, or whether it's done, you know, with military. Um, you know, military-backed ethnic cleansing, you know, in some ways, a lot of the results are the same. And so for me, personally, um, you know, the fact that it's about Palestine is in itself important, but it's also about so so many other things. So I, I really welcome, we all welcome those conversations. It's really quite remarkable that this piece is happening right now. You know, whereas the world is also engaged and know, need to know and need to see this particular piece because it really talks about something really outside. I mean, it's bigger than the United States. It's so much bigger. And I'm just curious to know, um, are you at all concerned about people coming to see the piece that are not happy with some of the things that are going to be mentioned in this piece? Um, does that bother you at all or you're not concerned at all? No, I'm not. I mean, I really uh, I'm not. I mean. You know, listen, I, I grew up in this country. I have collaborated with, I've had discussions and debates, um, uh, you know, with, with Israelis, with Jewish Americans, with, you know, folks who are not Jewish or Israeli but are Zionists. And the fact is, is, is that, you know, when we talk about it from a place of compassion, when we talk about it from a place of historical fact, you know, then th- there's... You know, I personally don't think, like, emotions have to get into it, right? Like, we are talking about things that happened, right? There's nothing controversial about talking about the fact that Haifa, which was a predominantly Palestinian city, 95% of its Palestinian population was displaced violently in the, in the course of two days, exactly 75 years ago. You know, we're actually coming up on the 75th anniversary of the foundation of the State of Israel, but it's for Palestinians. We call it the Nekba, which is a catastrophe, not because Palestinians, as, as folks would like us would like us to believe, have something against Jews, some kind of historical enmity with Jews. No, it's because we were displaced from our homes by the Zionist project, right? So, you know, listen, I'm the son of a historian. I I, I do rigorous research in my plays. I have no problem having these discussions, and and like I said. It's an incredibly compassionate portrayal of the, the one of the protagonists, who's a, a Jewish-Israeli woman who survived Auschwitz, right? So I, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, with talking about these things if we're, we're talking, uh, talking about it from a point of real historical understanding based on, on justice and, and humanity, right? And, and I think it's the lack of that capacity and that ability in, in a lot of dialogue in the United States. Um, that's well, I want to make sure that I... Really understanding, that I, you know? Right. I want to make sure that I remind everyone that you still have time to see it. It opened on April 21st through the 23rd, and now it is at um, on May 3rd through the 6th. Um, you definitely want to check it out. It's being staged at Mixed Blood Theater. The address for that is 1501 South 4th Street, 
South 4th Street in Minneapolis at 55454. Tickets are $15 to $22, $18 in advance, $22 at the door, and $16 for groups of 10 or more, 15 for students and seniors. Please get your tickets and go check this out. See it for yourself. Many people will be talking about this, but we all need to talk about it. And really Absolutely. learn what it's all about. I am so glad that you joined us tonight, Ishmael. And I'm Thank looking you. forward Thank to you seeing for you move me. up and forward. I'm looking forward yes. to sir. Keep going. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. And and can I add also, Penji has provided online an amazing resource list uh, about the conflict, about Israel-Palestine, with um, books, poetry, literature, films, documentaries, other resources that I really think people should check out if they want to kind of dig deeper and get some context. But definitely come out to the show um, and see a great piece of theater. I'm so glad I spoke with you. I, I look forward to meeting you someday soon. Take care as of yourself. Do I, as do I. Take care. All right. Be Thanks well. a lot. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That is all we have tonight for Center Stage. And it is quite remarkable when you see these young people or these these people who have been thinking about these things and they act on it and they build on it. That is beautiful. And it should be something we all should reach for in some way. So we're going to take a break and then come back as we close out the evening. Welcome back, everyone. As we wrap up this hour, there is so much to talk about. I, I, <laughs> it's like crossing my mind over and over again. When we hear about young people doing great things, whether it's something that you don't want to hear, because many of us may sit back and go, yeah, okay, that sounds great, but uh, I don't want to see that particular piece. I, I, there's enough going on in the world that already upsets me. So many of us feel that way. If you feel that way, I get it. I get it. It makes sense to me. But I do know I had a chance once again, I've told you many times about Reignite the Soul. Uh, it is a, oh, just kind of get it to peruse it, to read it, to see if it's something that affects you, that inspires you. And I really do enjoy it. Well, tonight they're talking about mistakes. It says here, a mistake is only a mistake when you don't learn from it. Ah, oh, that makes sense to me. Otherwise, it is a lesson. Have you ever experienced times in your life when it feels like you are reliving the same unresourceful choices and outcomes? You feel like the main character in the movie, right? Like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Well, don't despair, it says. It happens to everyone. It is in those times you need to slow down, reflect, and ask yourself, why is this happening for me? Not to me, but for me. And that is something I have worked on for the last, since the pandemic started for us in 2020. Why is this happening for me? And when you turn it around and you really start to look at what is truly happening to you, as I look at what is happening to me, I want to see it all, feel it all, hear it all, and understand it all. But here it says, what life lesson, what, what life lesson do I need to learn so that I can get the lesson and move on? That's the truth. If you finally get the lesson, you can move forward. And it continues to say, in life, making a mistake is natural. That is how we learn. 
So don't fuss at your children or your family, your friends, your students, the doctors, the nurses. Don't fuss at them. Take it into yourself. A mistake is only a mistake when you don't learn from it. So you may have to do it over and over and over again until it is done. Because that's our responsibility to make sure that it's done. This blessed me today. This brought me peace. This simple reignite the soul. This thought of the week inspired me. And I hope you hear and can feel that this is also for you. We all have to take the moments when we can get them. Take the moment when you can get it. Stick with it. If it doesn't satisfy you, go back again. Keep reading it again. A mistake is only a mistake when you don't learn from it. You do it over and over and over again until you get it. Answer that call. Have the mistake. Deal with it. It has been a pleasure being here with you tonight. It's always a pleasure being here with you. I want to say thank you to every listener who was praying for me during a very difficult time this year. I want to say thank you to all of those that wrote me on Facebook or, or some of their friends that I knew called and said, Hey, I want, I want you to hear from Geraldine. That's what I'm doing now. So thank you and make sure that you have a great day tomorrow by sleeping well tonight. Blessings to you all. Good night, Jonathan. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.